welcome to Reaction Shots for August. I am joined, of course, by Michael Huber. August is my birthday. The, the whole month. month. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> my month. does that, too. Just takes the month. August Taken. is my birthday. Yeah. Taken. Uh, and Brandon Jones. Yeah. First time on the show. I'm so happy. I completed the whole set of the... The Easy oh, A podcast line. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm all caught up. Long. I was on Friend Code recently. And uh, so was I, I think. Tracks. Was I? I don't know. Who can tell anymore? Anyways, uh, we start off the show. This episode is about film noir, but we start off the show uh, with what have you liked lately? Uh, Jones, do you have one or should we start with Hubert? I got one. Okay. Locked and loaded. We've talked about it, so I'm going to repeat myself a little bit. This is more for the people watching than, than for y'all, but uh, I finally saw John Wick 2. Yeah. I didn't see either John Wick, John Wick films in the theaters. I saw mm. them all both on demand. John Wick Chapter 2. Chapter 2, you're Jones. right. Yeah. Correct. Uh, and very much enjoyed it. Enjoyed it more than the original John Wick. And I think... <laughs> It's pretty harsh what happens to John Wick in the first film, yeah. but to me it was like if somebody had taken out Sophie, like I, I probably wouldn't be surprised if I found myself really good at using automatic weapons. Like <laughs> I, I would just like that that would bring out a lot in me, you know, to to do harm to lots of people uh, that were responsible for it. But the two I think gets much more into like the the honor structure of how this world works yeah. and what laws people can accept and what they can't. Um, uh, certainly, the climax kind of builds up to that moment. Uh, and uh, um, I just thought that was so fascinating, just getting into this world and seeing how it worked and seeing how you know different people who who trusts who and why. And um, I just thought that was more fascinating than the first film, which just was kind of like he's just mad. You and know? I, would yeah, like, yeah. I would say better characters too. Uh, and more, more characters, yeah. And more characters. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if we get into specifics on the show, sure. but uh, the uh, yeah, the best sequence was the um, when like eight people get the call to hit on him. And oh he yeah, can yeah. Get, he can't even get like yeah. five blocks without yeah. like forty people <laughs> jumping kill, at him. Like six people, yeah. Um, but that's you know because I think a lot of times you see like like Untouchables comes to mind where you know everybody keeps telling Kevin Kevin Costner like slow down you don't want to go against these people because you'll put a mark on you and you can't survive that your family can't survive that yeah and I like that just ratchets that up to the like you can't even get to the subway <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. it's not like sometime in the next two weeks when you least expect it yeah it's like you know like right now somebody will put a car bomb you know underneath your car um it's just like yeah you're uh, some giant like sumo wrestler is gonna yeah, come yeah. at you on the the sidewalk. Um, but and I also get the sense, uh, you know, like I like the Keanu Reeves not like a beefcake. He's not like mm-hmm. a really big guy. There's not a lot of crazy kung fu going on. He does kind of have sometimes like he he'll like you know point the gun at a doorway that no one's run out of yet, and it's like, how did you know that some guy was going to go right. flying out of there? Um, but Intuition. I definitely get it. Yeah. He doesn't know. He's just making sure. But that I I I get a sense that it's yeah. He's just kind of like um, it's it's like a sushi chef, you know, just like chop 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 chop. You know, he's just like this is. Is what I do is my job, and so it's not. I I don't think I don't get emotional when I go through these things. What are they What are they calling the boogeyman, the ba- Baba Yaga or whatever? Baba Yaga, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's why I love just the the, well, the one, only one, well, the few moments you see him lose it in the movies when like the guy finally leaves him alone, like with his 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 new gun and his suit and stuff, and he just screams and he's like, "All right, I got that out of my system. Back to work." <laughs> love the scene with the the uh, sommelier. Oh, oh my yeah. god! It's like yeah. oh, you know. And for dessert, like the shotgun. So what he said for good. dessert, this is the worst yes. too. Because like I really, because you know, you really try to have people. Speaking of film, you know, to really get absorbed in something and try to like you know cancel out the outside world. And it's just like <laughs> anybody pulls out a shotgun in oh, any yeah. movie now. I'm like, I think Huber's. Yeah, Huber. <laughs> Dude, terrible. that shotgun scene though, in the tunnel. 
So good. Is the yeah. shotgun the one that he hides up on the yep. thing for later? Yeah. Oh my god, he goes back Man. to it and just starts wrecking. <laughs> well, that's what I like about John Wick is like the world building obviously is insane, but John Wick as a character, mm-hmm. like I always read it that he doesn't know he's going to go back and needs the shotgun. But he knows he's going to take that path. And if yeah. things are going to go down, mm. yeah. then he might need it. So he puts yeah. it there, you know? So okay. it's like planning ahead. It's great. Well, and Keanu is just right? oh, a yeah. lovable human. Keanu is just the you greatest know? person who ever lived. Exactly. Yeah. Truly a wonderful person. Huber, what have you liked recently? Um, I like, I really like this show called Turn. Turn Washington Spies. Uh-huh. Um, they actually re renamed it like for season two they're really trying to get like hey george washington's in the show like maybe you should watch you know uh-huh. the ratings have never been great uh yeah. like the head it's on amc the head of amc even said like it's one of my favorite shows so you know i'm using my power to keep it alive like it's uh-huh. one of those situations uh but we're on the final season you know and anytime a show is on the final season it's you know it's yeah. it's i put it above a lot of other shows on on my investment it's like mm-hmm. you know final season serious business you know only four seasons for the show so it's in and out but uh in just, and out in a cool yeah. 40 hours cool 40 hours <laughs> for tv though you know like yeah, yeah. your final season is four i think that's pretty pretty good yeah uh just a great cast ensemble cast of characters in this show i always love historical things like seeing the Revolutionary War and and kind of a different side of it too, like the spy ring, because a lot of it is based on fact. Obviously, it's historical fiction. I'd say maybe they embellish a couple things, but it yeah. is very on point with historical battles, characters, locations. Uh, the primary focus is Benedict Arnold, who we all know is a yeah. traitor. That's like the main, like him and Washington against each other. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, uh, you know, because Washington isn't the main character. It's uh, Culper. It's like his his nickname is Culper. Um, Abraham Woodhall is like mm. this spy. Okay. That you know, and just his journey has was been. Was he real or was yeah he, okay. yeah? Supposedly, you know, I, I haven't done too much information. I'm waiting. I'm waiting right. for like the show to end before I do the deep dive. Oh sure, right. yeah. Want spoilers. Spoilers. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Historical spoilers. Um, <laughs> but just again, I can't stress enough. Just a lot of really good characters. Like so many characters that I love. So. Just a, just a cool show. If you're interested in American history and Revolutionary War, I recommend it. Is it kind of like the Americans, just Revolutionary War era? I would say a l- lot less slow and intense okay. than the Americans. Americans is very, like, you know, focused on a conversation. Like, yeah. turn moves, but there's a lot of spy stuff, which I really like. So it's, it's pretty quick-paced. Um, Does it take a lot of turns? There are a lot of turns. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, the bird. I'm super pumped because the series finale is this Saturday. Whoa. Final episode. Wow. So I'm getting a little little emotional. Anytime one of my favorite shows ends, you know. So I have time to catch up is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 39 hours. <laughs> I don't hours. sleep much this yeah, week. Yeah, hop aboard. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I'm just all about Game of Thrones. Mm. Mm. I mean, no, no specifics, but man, this mm. season is good. Yeah. Since it's they unshackled themselves from those tedious books, it yeah, it um, it's almost like Dad fell asleep and the kids like, got, like you know got just, what just, just hit the gas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dad like wakes up and they're on the freeway like what? You, know? <laughs> I mean, you can f- you can feel that moment. Oh when yeah, it's, it's almost like you're like surfing. It's like right at the crest of the wave. We're like oh here we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. You had like, to and the books are done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had to know too. Ten episodes or whatever, like or seven and six seven for the final two seasons. Yeah. 
people are always talking about like like spoilers don't say anything it's like you have to be prepared that every single episode in the last two seasons some shit is gonna go <laughs> down like if there's a like there pretty much statistically cannot be an episode where nothing happens yeah. ever again of yeah. this show yeah it's amazing there's but nine left now yeah something they seem to speaking a lot about uh why nothing is happening too Kind of that, like there are threats and there are th- expectations you have for characters, and I think they did a good job this season of being like, "I know you think I'm going to do that, right. but I'm not, and here's why." And you're right. like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that would be a bad idea." Or I am. <laughs> like, I've kind of been waiting yeah. for you to do it, and then like, "Oh yeah, oh, that doesn't make sense." I get why they're called White Walkers now, because they just take forever they to walk. get here. <laughs> they yeah. just walk and walk and take they their time walk. walking. They're walkers. I'm cool waiting though. Yeah, I just it doesn't bug me that they like haven't been around that much. Because obviously, the the few times they've come have been unbelievable. Crazy, yeah. But I wish it like it's on me, I guess, expecting that they would have come a little sooner. You know, when I should have realized, like, yo, it is final season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't wait around for them. Like, they're a final season. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, season five, season six, I'm like, dude, let's go, White Walkers. Are they coming? Right. Are they coming? Right, it's right, like, right. it's like, no, it's that's final season. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, what my? So. I mean, this, I, you know. If I turn out to be right, I'm sorry, but like, I think it'd be funny if like everyone ends up just killing themselves and the White Walkers yeah. show up and they're kind of just like, well, <laughs> where, where'd everybody go? Like, we want to kill some people. You guys. They like took the ball and went home. It's really hot in Essos. We can't yeah, go over we there. we can't handle this. Um, that was a cool shot though, right? They bring kind of the storm with them. Yeah, with like them, the yeah. first episode of the Very season, slowly. right? Yeah. Uh, I'm also so really good. into Rick and Morty. Mm. That show is great. And it's like kind of heavy this season. It's kind of mm. nuts. Oh. Yeah. Don't spoil it for me. I won't spoil I'm it catching up. Oh, you're watching Rick I've and Morty? I've watched the ver- the first two episodes. Whoa. Yeah. I am anxious to hear yeah. what you think of Rick I and love Morty. the first two episodes. It's I'm like, this is show. amazing. There, yeah. there are pretty much only like one, there's like one like kind of not great episode, but mm. it still has even some funny parts cool. in there. I finally so. saw an episode oh, recently. Yeah? yeah. Which one did you see? I, I mean, I was like familiar. I'm familiar with the humor. I know those writers right, and right. stuff. I'm like, I could point their voices out. Yeah. But like, I never actually sat through and it was the one where time splits. Where the screen actually like, oh, goes yeah, 50-50. Yeah, yeah. That's and like the season quadrants finale and then, of two, I think. And that was, uh, that was fun. maybe the first episode of season two. Whatever. That's a good one. But uh, very fast-paced humor. Very, oh, like, yeah, yeah, doesn't, yeah. It uh, doesn't drag. Which what a lot I, of TV comedies can. A lot of animated stuff can just kind of like, all right, I Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I really love about that show is that it is a show where pretty much anything can happen. And but it's still grounded in itself because like it's just like uber science. And what I love is that I mean you you haven't gotten to this stuff yet, but like permanence, like things will happen that seem too crazy to come back from, and they yeah. stick with it. Like That's awesome. it's it's really awesome. Uh, it's cool. Anyways, uh, let's talk about film noir. Yes. Uh, so starting off with a few examples: Chinatown, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Double Indemnity. Touch of Evil, Sunset Boulevard, Nice Guys, Out of the Past, Brick, L.A. Confidential, Blade Runner. Uh, some other examples that I left off of the list um, for the patrons, but uh, Fargo. Mm. Uh, there's a, Nor- I think, Norwegian movie called Headhunters that's really, really good. I've seen that movie. It's got uh, it's Jamie train, right? from, uh, what? It's like a train. No. It's like um. I know I've seen it. There's another movie like it. Okay, Headhunters, he's a guy... Uh, the main guy is like a corporate headhunter who's yes. buying a lot of art. And then Jamie Lannister from yes. uh, Game of yep. Thrones shows up and is like chasing him around. It's amazing. Yeah. It's got some very intense scenes. Yeah. Tell No One was a French movie. Uh, I've I seen like that, that one, one too. Yeah, yes, that's a good yes, one. yes. 
Uh, anyway, there are a lot of noir movies, a lot of mm-hmm. movies that are inspired by noir. Uh, real quick, I want to get this out of the way. I took a class back in college uh, that would like dealed he- dealt he- dealed dealt heavily with um, whether or not film noir was a genre or just a s- descriptor assigned by the French to something that was happening at the time, pre- predominantly in American cinema. And I, if I recall correctly, it was kind of based on these little pulp novels that had black covers um, that the French had. And so, like, these French critics were looking at something happening in American cinema, and then they started calling it film noir, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it was, like, a term applied to a phenomenon that was happening on its own that, like, wasn't necessarily a genre. Hmm. Uh, but I mean, it's a genre now, like, come on, uh, like you could be like, you could walk into a store and they're, you know, back in the blockbuster day, like they could have a film noir section. And and blockbuster is law. I mean, if you see it in there, yeah, you wouldn't bat an eye. You can picture it in blue and yellow. It's a genre. Yep. Um, and I think like a a few other things that were happening. I mean, obviously these aren't the only influences into this stuff, but, uh, some German expressionism like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or mm. whatever. Um, that that kind of high contrast, and I can never say this word, chiroscuro? Chiroscuro? Whoa. It's like hard. Whoa. It's like that puppet kind of like high contrast black and white lighting stuff. Um, high contrast lighting, um, heavily influenced by that kind of stuff too uh, going on. And... Um, I think a few people brought this up, so we'll see some examples of this too. But uh, one one of the main threads that I think most of this today's discussion will hinge on is the unreliable narrator, or like the um, not always unreliable narrator, but like film noir, especially later film noir. You are seeing through this person's lens, like their yeah. perspective. In Chinatown, I mean, they they famously went very intense with it, where the camera is placed over Jake's shoulder mm-hmm. so that you're seeing things you're reacting almost right after he does to mm-hmm. a lot of things so you're definitely seeing the entire movie through his perspective or like you're yeah. you're peeking over his shoulder literally oh my god um, i think of uh dark passage humphrey bogart mm-hmm. there's like a lot of first person shots mm-hmm. and he escapes and gets plastic surgery so like some of the movie he has like this band he's like covered in bandages and then, like, you know, he's taking it off, and he's, like, looking in the mirror. There's, like, the first person shot, and it's, like, Bogart. He's, like, all right, nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> just awesome. That's super cool. Would yeah. you say Sunset Boulevard's noir? Uh, yeah, I think okay. so. Because yeah. that's, I definitely get that vibe of, like, mm-hmm. the, uh, you, you don't know really what happened to him. And, you know, not good things happened to him. Yeah. But you're still, he's still, you know, you're kind of like, when, when did you get a chance to tell the story? <laughs> you know, right. it's like, these are the way events have unfolded. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and definitely an unreliable narrator. I yeah, and I mean, I personally love that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so you've never been on the show before. Uh, occasionally, I will bring in uh, thoughts from patrons. Excellent. Uh, and usually, I, I trim them down a little bit, but uh, a lot of times, like they're well phrased. So I some of the best <laughs> thoughts I've found. Oh yeah. yeah. Before you, not ours. Before you do the first one, I just want to bring up something I love really uh-huh. quick about film noir is it feels more high stakes like film noir movies to me feel more high stakes because they're so grounded yeah and because they're dealing with such intense themes like it's it's usually murder or like right. a, a, th- a thief or a robbery robbery like somebody always ends up dead and because yeah. it's so grounded and like 
focused on realism, I guess, or like that heightened sense of realism. It just feels it, like it has more impact than like an action movie, someone gunning people down, well, you know, movie, because it's like, yeah. because it's always like, whoa, like someone is dead now. Like it makes it high right. stakes. Well, an action movie, they, you know, they kind of they'll, they'll like dangle Bruce Willis off a ledge and like, oh no. And you're mm-hmm. like, don't kill Bruce Willis. You know, <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, like you yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, know yeah, going yeah. into it, like, yeah, you're probably going to make it out. And what I love about noir is like, I, all of you are dead. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> right. This is, and, everyone and is even, vulnerable. It doesn't yeah. even have to be death. It's like, things are not going to end well. Right. Like, even if you make it out of it, like, you're not going to have anyone you around you, you or you dead. might end up in prison. Yeah. yeah. The, wor- the worst fiasco not sending. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or the best fiasco not sending. Depending on who you ask. Well, and that's, I mean, that's something that I love about film noir, specifically as a style of film. Uh, and a retro PS4 pa- patron uh, talked about this, too. Like, hon- high contrast lighting, hard shadows, foreboding score, use of uh, voiceover, low camera angles, all these staples of noir. And, like, the, it's one of those things where the form meets the function mm-hmm. for me. Like, these hard shadows and stuff cast everything in, in mysterious light. Like, literally. You can't see someone lurking in these shadows. And it's a stylized, you know, based on reality, but stylized kind of in more of a, the way that you the eye does see sometimes. Where it's like, hey, I can't see over there, and that mm-hmm. makes me concerned. Yeah. You know? And... I just I, I love that kind of stuff where artistic choice yeah. really backs up, you know the the, yeah. the story. You because th- you think of like the golden age of noir is like the forties, right? But when you think of the forties in America or like fifties, right? It's yeah. like happy, bright, like obviously post World War Two, but the, like the but then you go back and you watch these movies and you're like, these are so intense. Oh yeah, the, like it it's just this like. Again, I, I bring it up because, you know, I watch movies now and maybe because it's like I'm desensitized or they have like a gloss to mm. them and there's a disconnect. Yeah. But just sometimes going back to these old noirs, I'm like, this is really heavy stuff. <laughs> like it's it still shocks me yeah. when I turn on Turner Classic or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, whoa. Well, and I like think- people coming up with fiber wire, like oh, choking yeah. <laughs> out. I'm like, this is like not graphic, but it's violent, you know? That, um... Later on, we'll we'll hear a quote from Liz Castro, patron. Um, but she brings up uh, the the code, like I, I think referring to the Hayes Code and stuff like that, where there were, it was a Hollywood set of rules that dealt with you know beds can't be s- too close together, yep. like people can't have their feet off the bed, mm-hmm. like all these weird kind of like uh, really conservative ideals that that Hollywood had to deal with. And so movies, yeah, noir movies, I think were a reaction against that mm-hmm. kind of stuff where. They were pushing it in a way, but still adhering to these codes. And, like, it has this weird effect, like a good horror movie where you don't see the monster and mm-hmm. it, your mind fills it in even worse because it's your own personal horror. Yeah. I think uh, an idea that I had for another episode is Sex Without Sex, which is dealing with this kind of stuff where, like, hey, how come these two talking about, like, total innuendo... <sighs> But, like, never talking about actual sex is, like, kind of the hottest thing I've ever seen (laughs) because they can't do it. The rules won't let them do it. And, like, a lot of these movies, yeah, have that kind of quality where it's, like, you're, like, nothing is being shown, but this is the most unsettling, messed up stuff I have ever seen in my entire (laughs) life. And then in the 60s uh, and 70s when the shackles are kind of, like, loosened or come off and things just go, like, haywire. You get, like, De Palma or Sam Peckinpah stuff Mm -hmm. where, like, things are just 
gnarly. Graphic. Like one of my favorite Peckinpah movies, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which is sort of like a Western noir kind of crossover. You do have the the drunken uh, detective type archetype happening. So I think it would kind of classify as like a, maybe a bright noir sort mm-hmm. of a deal, like a daytime noir. But um, yeah, just things happen in that that are just like, wow. And that kind of uh, dialogue. Um, yeah. And like the, the way that the female characters in that movie are handled too. Are really, you watch that movie. It's pretty intense. It's very intense. Heads up, it's a Peckinpah movie. Like, yeah. that guy had a complex relationship with women. <laughs> Did not trust women, I think. But, uh, anyways. I also like uh, uh, cigarettes. How, oh. how they, especially like, you know, back in the day, like how they, you know, you're talking about like darkness and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the absence of light and obviously dealing with shady characters. And, but like, uh, I like, you know, obviously smoke is obscuring, but like, I also like that um, you have a lot of characters that are. Doing things they know are bad for them, but they don't care. They're doing things that they know they're going to ultimately end in ruin, but they don't care. Yeah. And there's definitely more characters like, you know, smoking is just what you did back in the day. You oh, know? It's yeah. like, it's funny just like sitting down at a restaurant or something or just like talking to your doctor and you're both yeah. smoking. Both like, smoking just like, and whiskey. Your lungs are whiskey, all messed up. Cigarettes. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Eddie Valiant in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, for, for the entire first, I don't know, 75% of that movie... He's got booze. He's drinking yeah. booze. He and, and like in a kids movie, right? And he reaches for it like it's you know, very direct psychological ties. You know, like he, yeah. he mentions his brother reaches for the flask. Yeah. You know, yeah. reaches for the bottle. It's not even a flask. It's just yeah. a straight up bottle of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. You know. Oh yeah, when he when he's telling Roger the story in the uh-huh. theater, just yeah, reaches for his booze. You know, it's just like, well, that's one to one. You know, like <laughs> coping mechanism. Yeah, coping mechanism. Yeah, and I mean that's that's something. Uh, that we're going to talk about too. These characters, just with the shady past and stuff, I think is a, is a through line in a redemption. Lot. Like yeah. really flawed characters looking, right. you know, which is yeah, like some usually. I love just the hard boiled detective. You know, someone coming to the detective, detectives down on their luck, like one final job, or you yeah. know, they get in over their head. Uh, it's just it's just funny that there's so many tropes and they can all they all, they're all still have they also have their own identity. What uh, Andrew Bailey phrased it in a really good way. A patron uh, said, "A weak man who doesn't have the guts or the ability to take control over his own life." Um, and Andrew tied that into a later question that we're going to deal with with uh, film noir's relationship to women too. But like, that is a common trope in these movies where the main character is a broken human being, mm-hmm. and it's like they were. It's 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 very interesting to me. It's a very palpable kind of metaphor too. Is that it's often a detective or someone who's in placed into the role of, of detection of figuring out a, a mystery of some kind mm-hmm. who is themselves this just broken pile of puzzle pieces, you know? And it's like you through piecing the, this mystery together, sometimes they piece themselves back together, like in who framed Roger rabbit. And oftentimes they don't like maybe in Chinatown, you yeah. know, where it's just like, yeah, no, you're just broken, man. <laughs> like that's just not happening. Uh, well, you're describing my favorite character of all time in any medium, which is Batman. 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 <laughs> no several are. people. Several people. You guys. I'm happy that you guys are both on the table here. <laughs> uh, several people. Uh, Morgan Mahala, Retro PS4, Liz Castro. A bunch of people brought up Batman the Animated Series. Hell yeah. Do you guys want to talk? Let's just jump well, into it. Well, well, Batman's interesting because the thing that the major difference between Batman and every other story we're going to talk about at this table is like permanence is uh-huh. that like this goes on for decades yeah. <laughs> you know it's not just kind of this like flash in the pan that's actually kind of one of the things that I appreciate it got me real steamed at the time but like 
you know, looking back at the Nolan trilogy that is kind of unique in the world of Batman that, like, Nolan kind of presents it like, this is kind, this is not really, like, a way Gotham was. It's more like a thing that happened. You know, right. like, Batman was just a thing that happened. Like, right. he was not patrolling a lot. Yep. You know, like, he, he did have maybe, like, a year or two that, like, he, that was his golden age, you know, where, like, we kind of see the end of that at the in beginning the of Dark... Universe, at the beginning yeah. of yeah. Dark Knight where he takes out, you know, uh, yep. uh, Scarecrow again. Um but uh, to me, that's not like yeah, the Batman I grew up with. So I was very like you know not into that at the time. But like, I love that. It was it was a de- like a more kind of like hardcore like because you think about the like real life situation. Obviously, no one loves like making it super realistic. Like no human could be able to sustain what Batman <laughs> yeah, does. Right, you know, yeah. so it's like he does that for a year or two. Like his body's messed up, yeah. like psychologically, physically. Yeah. That's why I love in Dark Knight Rises. Like again, people give it shit that he's all like bummed leg, like old, yeah. like dude, no one could keep up <laughs> what he did for a couple years. But if you get some new pants and you do some pull-ups in a pit in the ground, your cartilage will regrow in your you're knees. Set. You're set. Yeah. Things he's, that are impossible got, uh, will happen. Yeah, when you're when you're pushed to the brink, you can do anything. Cartilage but he, can't come back. Though. But he it, it, it also forces him to <laughs> to die or leave you know he, right, he can't right, he can't right. maintain it and so it has that kind of abandoned like noir ending yeah. where it's like <laughs> somebody's got to die or we got to break up and we got to separate ourselves from each other um so yeah it was interesting interesting how that that trilogy wrapped up yeah i uh i think batman is a, is a staple of film noir and uh i mean Catwoman, femme, femme fatale, femme fatale. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah and i mean well and the, the tim burton yeah batman's like Take film noir and then just like Dick Tracy it What's up to more, a thousand. Yeah, it was a little more you know? gothic too. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was almost like a borderline fantasy. Oh, you know, yeah, like yeah. When, when Burton did it. It's a gothic. But yeah, I mean, just the sure. way the animated series is drawn, the way the, the, the like all the uh, the the crime boss types talk. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my favorite things about the series. I forgot actually just going back and, and watching it again was that like how much just crime has to do with it. Oh, yeah, like yeah. there's lots of characters and lots of people effing stuff up in Gotham City that like. Don't wear makeup. Don't have mm-hmm. costumes. Just, just mafia. Like, just yeah. straight up mafia. Just old, old money. Yeah. Old Gotham money. Just yeah. Well, and Gotham is like, you know, it's like Sin City levels of just like, hey, this is a noir crime town. Mm-hmm. Like that's just what it is. Based on old Chicago, you know, like, <coughs> yeah. straight up. Uh, Roger Rabbit was the assignment film coming into this month uh, because it dealt with practical effects, and it is one of the great. Film noir. Like you said mm-hmm. when uh, he gets shot in the back with the squibs. Yeah. Crazy. A little bit of blood. Shows the kill, Jones. Oh, yeah. Two shots in the back. RK Maroon. Does black, not black. cut away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this movie is intense, and it definitely borrows... The guy like, with the, in the noose, or like his <laughs> yeah. tie hanging from yeah, the yeah, machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right after he gets yeah. shot, yeah. yeah. It borrows from... This film borrows from a lot of the greats. I mean, like, the lighting, the feel, you know... Just the classic Hitchcock, like uh-huh. when they're killing Maroon, the gun behind the curtain yeah. just Absolutely. coming out. Absolutely. Uh, Morgan Mahala said that uh, it's great because every part of it is so well crafted, but the duel between Daffy Duck and Donald Duck is mm-hmm. worth the price of admission. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a pretty funny thing. Um, the legit scary film. I mean, one of oh. one of one of the one of those disturbing. Things that even when I go back and enjoy it and smile, like there's that little eight year old in my mm-hmm. the back of my brain that's, that's like freaked out. I don't like Christopher Lloyd in this movie. Dude. I don't like. Yeah. I don't like parts of Toontown. Like even that crazy that gal lady? chasing yeah, him is yeah. kind of scary. <laughs> you know, gross, like. just because. And and I don't think it's necessarily that like you know that's kind of type of a situation would scare me. But like there's something creepy about tunes, and this might have nothing to do with noir. But like that 
disproportionate like distance they can run places yeah. and how far they can reach and like you know that he shoots these bullets but they're not they're not that fast you know right. you never really kind of know and like even like, when the car's driving it kind of the speed changes mm-hmm. here and there and so you just you, you never know what to expect with tunes <laughs> and just that kind of that wobbliness is well and like unsettling. the one, like the sword even when he pulls it out yeah. like there's just a lot of the one rule that that eeriness to that, that movie. roger states is that like uh, Eddie Valiant's like, wait, you could have, you mean to tell me you could have taken your hand out of this cuff at any time? No. And he goes, no, not any time, only when it was funny. And it's like all the tunes operate with that, <laughs> you know, mode. It's like even the bullets, like probably intentionally choose the wrong, the wrong direction because yeah. they're always performing for an audience that might not even be watching. You well, and you, and you talk about broken human beings and like they're all kind of messed up in the head a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like yeah. they're not really well adjusted. Can't even call them humans, but yeah. like they, yeah, they're, 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 there's a reason that tunnel's there. <laughs> you know, so it's like right. you guys stay on your side because yeah. <laughs> you all make, seem to make it sense. You know, make sense of your existence over there, and like we'll handle being humans over here. Um, oh man, yeah. I, I wonder if there's any, any. I mean, maybe more in the novel, but like I wonder if there's any kind of exploration into mental illness or hmm. any kind of just just in the way that he deals with with Roger. You know, it's like I'm, I wonder if there's any uh, parallels of noir films where you have that character like um, who might have seen, you know, a, a murder or something like that, or, like, a small child or something that, like, is trying to sort it out in their head. So you have this cop protecting them, you know, yeah. like, like, I need this kid, but I'm putting him in danger by bringing him into everything at the same time. And dip. And like, Dick oh, Tracy yeah, melts dip. the shoe. Like, Dick Tracy. I mean, what I like about... I'm messed up over seeing a shoe die? What yeah. Kind of oh, is yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. In Roger Rabbit, the characters, the tunes, Roger and, and Jessica and stuff, they're, like, one ideal boiled down to it's like extreme like roger wants to make people happy wants to make people laugh and he's just a sweetheart and like through and through you know and jessica you know they love each other and like she does a couple of weird things to try to protect Mm -hmm. roger you know and it's it's just very interesting because then you take judge doom and uh he's he's that he's that kind of ideal but the opposite you know i said to huber in our in our uh commentary it's like who drew this guy like yeah, yeah. who made yeah. like why did we who required yeah, this that villain, blew my mind you know? seriously who drew him who drew where this did guy? he come from right because it's like who made this just messed up psycho dude with no positive qualities mm-hmm. he's not trying to make people laugh he's trying to make a buck and doesn't care who he has to dip yeah yeah even his entire species right wiping out toontown yeah what well, could have been that you know you, you think of like the the wind and the, the wind and the willows that the Mister Toad's yeah. wild ride is from uh-huh. like like the you know like the the judge and that maybe, you know it's yeah. like there definitely are like creepy uh-huh. cartoon yeah. characters villains just bad so, yeah somebody Usually somebody judges. made him a villain and he was just around for so long that he he started to I can think of a few in both sides creepy judges in cartoons yeah, yeah. they're mm. creepy with those wigs um. I mean, we just have to quickly mention the effects in Roger Rabbit. The pr- combination of practical effects and the believability of the characters and just the way that they interact with the world, it's insane. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and just so well done. It when he goes perfectly. through the, the glass, yeah. that transition, yeah. when he when he's drinking the booze. And, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, he goes through like the blind and the, and the glass. It just looks so There are still perfect. some things in there I don't. It's I like it's like it. I understand how it was set up. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how you made it look that good. Right. Yeah. Like right. by all intents, yeah, just like some metal rod. Like you know, right. it's like that shouldn't have. Like when he like throws water back, like I don't see it go out the back of his head, and right. I know there was nothing there. Right. So it's like how what's catching the water? Like right. crazy. Like and or like the <laughs> like I was watching the when they're wearing the um, handcuffs, the one on Roger 
you know, it's real. It's flipping all over the place yeah. and moving around. And I'm like, wow. I mean, like, yeah, they probably just had some kind of stick yeah. moving around. But it's like, man, they animated over that. Like, it's just, oh, God, it's so well done. Yeah. And and it's it's tough, too, because I think, like, there are even, you know, like, bless Yoda and Empire Strikes Back. But there are even some moments where he's just kind of like Luke. And you're like, yeah. ooh, Yoda, he's over. Lo- oh, close, Yoda. close. You know, or you can just tell. Or, like, uh, there's one infamous shot where he gets up and walks away. And you can see the floorboard, like, like Frank Oz is, like, underneath oh, yeah, from, like, yeah. the ground. Um, so, like, it's hard for me, you know, being, like, a stickler for special effects. Like, a movie like that where you're just co- you're constantly seeing right. the human being like, this is hard. Like, you can see the look yeah. in their eye where they're like, I rehearsed this a lot. Right. And even with those challenges, it's it's such yeah. a charming film, you know. And you just and, and, and Bob like, Hoskins just kills it. Like, oh, he's amazing. It's it's so tough, you know. It's like even like um, that's what killed the the prequels for me is they're like standing on a green screen stage and there's like right. we got to make this up and they just couldn't do it. They yeah, weren't yeah. like inspired enough. Right. Yeah. And you can see Hoskins is like I'm I'm willing to not only do the work to make it look believable, but to really like get frustrated at him to really bring a lot of character. Like you really felt for him and he, like he's an his amazing loss performer. And, like, yeah. You know, like how like they don't really dwell too much on the relationship between him and Doris. What's her name? Dolores. Dolores. Um, Just enough. But it's Just like enough. refreshing to have them kind of be like a little older than like noir leads, you know, mm-hmm. potentially yeah. be as far as like a love interest story, yeah. you know. But it's not done that much. But and they, they never still... actually get to kiss. Yeah. Like they almost kiss like three times. And yeah. Roger oh, always and all the photos away. of him and his brother and them. Oh. Like, yeah. It's just so well done. But also, it's such a tragic arc and you feel his redemption so well like this is a movie where the hero is redeemed yeah and like yeah showing those pictures of how he used to be a goofball and how they used to work for tunes and then this tragedy just hard like cut it off he started drinking you know and then i was saying to him like to to huber in the commentary like he then uses a tune to blow up a whiskey bottle yeah so it's like full circle you know he like uses it's oh god it's such a perfectly (laughs) ah And, and just which, and just like saving the tunes at the end, too, yeah. You know, used to work for tunes to saying I don't work for tunes, and then he saves and then the f- tunes. full circle on that in that regard, and then obviously kissing Roger is at the, end. <laughs> the, the best moment, oh. just feel good moment. Well, and like throughout the film, even when he's a grouch, he shows or sourpuss as, yeah. as Roger says, he does show that he does have a true understanding of how tunes think and how mm-hmm. tunes work, and I think that's really. It's really cool. Like, oh, it just works on so many levels. Yeah. Which brings us into our next uh, kind of thing. Eddie Valiant is a somewhat tragic figure. Is that a prerequisite of noir detectives? Like, that, do they have to be haunted by the past? Like, I can't think of many no. examples where they're uh, just like a happy dude. I, I think of like Touch of Evil. I think of Chuck Heston in that movie. I don't really think he has a haunted past. I mean, the bomb goes off in the car. Yeah. Uh, but. You know, he's just trying to. Tr- he's there. Sequence, by the way. Yeah. Oh God. He's there, just trying to like crack the case. You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. I haven't seen it in a while. I don't it's remember. It's been a while for me too. Yeah. I don't remember if Chuck Heston yeah. has any baggage, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't. So. You know, I haven't seen him forever. Is L.A. Confidential? Yeah. Uh, and Guy Pierce is pretty vanilla. Like he doesn't really have he's, a history or. He's trying to live up, I think, to his father's mm. legacy. Mm-hmm. But not he's, that severe. He's you like know? a goody two shoes that yeah. realizes he has to. Yeah, his his kind of his only tragedy is like being a square, and yeah. everyone's like, "Come on, loosen up, man!" And then he yeah. has to like bend the rules to succeed. You know, man, that's a good movie too. I I always imagine like they it helps if they're an underdog. Right. It helps if like for some reason you 
you expect them to because you're given you see them in a, in a light that other characters in the world don't. Right. But like you have certain people of power, whether they you know uh, committed just like you know robbery or murdered someone or and stumble across this person, like in the case of Roger Rabbit, where they like. Yeah, Valiant will just be a part of this, but like he's not going to be the one to bring all of us down. Like right. certainly not this guy. Yeah, and so like that kind of setup then just increases the mystery and uh, increases the tension when they're like trying to go around and figure out what's actually going on. Mm. Um, uh, Morgan Mahala, patron says, I believe that Eddie Valiant being a tragic figure could be a remnant of classic noir archetypes. Around the time that noir films became popular in the 40s and 50s, American film protagonists were commonly portrayed as the flawless macho male specimen who was reliable and never failed to save the day. It likely didn't make for an interesting character. Enter the detective with a drinking problem, trying to do the right thing and redeem his past while trying to impress the girl who will betray him for the stolen jewels in the end. And darn it if you don't have a more engaging movie. To say, it in, to say it in short, the complicated figures seen in noir are likely a shift away from the staple, simple characters of the time. I think that's, that's very true, and I think that's something that you see a lot, like we were talking about before, in film noir, is that it is a reaction to those kind of like mm-hmm. goody-two-shoes archetypes of the day. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's an interesting, especially coming as it does during the 40s and 50s, and you get, you get some of it starting in the 30s too, I think, but... Um, just histor- the historical backdrop of what was happening that that around those times too, um, that's just really interesting to me that it it, it is I think this reaction against American cinema. Well, it, it also could be perceived not as a resistance, but almost as kind of like doubling down on on these ethics of being like this is that's what true. life is yeah, like yeah, for yeah. these people. A you know, it's like play, yeah. you don't you know you you don't follow the rules, and this is this is what happens to you. That's a very good point. Yeah, um, yeah, that just kind of like you're supposed to be. And, and and maybe it's even pa- more effective that way if it's packaged in an entertaining way. So you have kids like watching it, being like, "Yeah, go get them," and then they yeah. grow up later and they actually think, like, "Oh, wait, I'm you know actually making you know moral decisions based on these like weird lessons I learned." I think that I've seeing these people just completely bottom out. Yeah, I think that's an amazing point and something I kind of wanted to talk about as well is that yeah, these lessons being a moral like the past haunting us. Is that really a lesson for our future? Like, you know, I mean, who framed Roger Rabbit? Like, Eddie Valiant is struggling with drinking because he's haunted by his past. And then by finding that strength in himself and re-embracing his old loves, you know, he realizes, like, yeah, I don't need my brother to do this. It sucks, but I don't need him. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, like, he does, he's able to improve and have a good future, theoretically, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Whereas other characters, you know, don't don't learn that lesson and, and and then that's more of an object lesson for the audience yeah uh i wonder if like fatal attraction is like uh uh the modern double or not modern because it's like 30 years ago but right. uh, uh of du- uh, double indemnity which i hadn't seen until a couple years ago because amanda actually uh did improv noir oh cool. and so that was interesting she watched a lot of movies and yeah. had to like make that up on the spot they mm-hmm. would do like an hour long just like made up improv oh fun uh and so it was interesting to kind of see those like tropes that would come up and uh, i'm interested in talking to uh bringing that up as well when we talk about the, the, uh, the role of women uh-huh. um but uh same kind of thing where like you watch something like a fatal attraction and it's like you're never cheating on your wife ever <laughs> you know, it's oh, like yeah. that's a lesson going out of yeah. that film where you're like all right that's probably a really extreme case but yeah. still like, don't <laughs> i'm not that. gonna forget that <laughs> um yeah i think it's interesting when they focus on villains mm-hmm. and like uh you know i think of kubrick's the killing okay it's about a group of criminals robbing a racetrack you know but Noir does a good job of making you root for these flawed characters. So it's like these guys are 
criminals pulling a job, but I am find myself rooting for them. But of course, in the end, you know, like you were just saying about learning a lesson, like at the end of it, it's like, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's almost kind of like your trajectory is based on your skill. Whereas uh-huh. like Valiant starts kind of at the bottom and then pops out on top. Whereas like in your thing, these are like mm-hmm. guys at the top of their game. You yeah. Know, and like they're all going to go to jail. I yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, same with Wild Bunch or any of the uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Like, if, yeah, if you start the movie... If you start a movie like this at the top, you pretty much know where it's going to go, you know? Or, like, if you start a movie married, (laughs) you ain't going to end a movie married, you know? Like, yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, Also, I think an interesting similarity between uh, Roger Rabbit and Chinatown is kind of the pseudo-accurate historical backdrop, you know? Like, uh, Roger Rabbit deals with uh, freeway systems, the closure of a lot of public transit in L.A., uh, Chinatown involves the purchasing of the valley and like, uh, sa- not sanctioning real it, but estate like, and, yeah. yeah, bringing it into LA proper basically so LA could steal their water. Uh, they, I think the figures of Mulray and a couple other people are like, were like three or four people in real life and they made them like two guys in, in, mm-hmm. uh, in Chinatown. But I really, I really like that kind of, uh, cause you learn something also, but like, it's just, it makes for a very intricate storyline that's believable. Because, like, Chinatown, if, if, you, like, if you heard the elevator pitch for Chinatown, it's like, yeah, it's about people stealing water. Yeah. You're like, what? That's not interesting. Like, yeah. get out of here. But then it has, like, all these bizarre intricacies. Yeah. You they know? noir it up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what I'm asking here, but like, I just, I like oh, that. I mean, I mean that one of the things I wanted to say earlier was how well Roger Rabbit does the era. Yeah. How oh, well yeah. they sell it. How great the scene is when they're in the theater watching the newsreels. Yeah. How you just oh, get yeah. this real kind of taste of like what, mm-hmm. what it was like newsreels, you know, yeah. it's like, that was, that was the news. Like there was not a lot of, yeah. you know, this is before television. So it's right. like they were, you got the radio and that, that was your first time to actually see like, oh, the war, you know, like uh-huh. for the first time. It's hilarious um, comparing Roger Rabbit and Roger Rabbit in Chinatown. Oh yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but they're yeah. just both masterpieces in their own <laughs> yeah. right. Oh, yeah. You know, well, a more direct a... comparison would be Rango in Chinatown because they're basically the same story. Like Rango, Rango. the the Johnny Depp lizard CG. I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> It it basically is beat for beat kind of the the story of Chinatown <laughs> without the the like fade down away twist part. Right. I think, so. <laughs> uh, Anyways, uh, let's talk about it. We've hinted at it a couple of times. Let's talk about film noir's relationship to female characters. Which is great. Yeah. It's really it's, good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's historically complex, I would say. Uh, it is interesting because there, film noir is, is, is strange in that it oftentimes por- portrays women as duplicitous and conniving and deceitful while also giving them a lot of credit for being very intelligent and cunning. So it's it's a very backhanded sort of thing. But um, I, I think it was in this... I, I wanted to start off with this. I think it's in this uh, comment. Uh, Jai Alder says, I think the genre's complicated relationship to women may be tied in with the notion of the flawed and haunted nature of the generally male narrator. A person whose relationships are often disrupted by his flaws, the tragedies that happen to him, and the destructive choices that he has make has made or may make as a result. His perspective on the people around him is often idealized, sometimes to their benefit, but often to their detriment as well. 
I'm not aware of any film examples of a noir story focused on a woman instead and would welcome recommendations. I'd say Fargo, but she's not really flawed. Uh, but for television, Veronica Mars stands out to me as a modern noir story of a female perspective. Yeah, it is. Uh, as in any genre, it's possible that the portrayal of women in noir might be more nuanced if the percentage of flawed male narrators was a little more balanced with flawed female ones. Um, Veronica Mars is, like, not too flawed, though. She definitely has, like, a she dark has some baggage. History. She's got some like, baggage, for she sure. She definitely has a history of for assault. Sure. And, definitely, like, definitely, know. definitely. Uh, and, but, like, that is interesting is because it is... Her reaction to that baggage mm-hmm. is one Strong. of strength, of, yeah. being, of, of being colder, of being mm-hmm. more standoffish. Yeah. And I think you see that in male detectives as well. But, like, whereas, whereas her reaction is to uh, never be the victim again, mm-hmm. male detectives often turn to drinking and stuff yeah. like that and, like, give themselves a weakness, sort mm-hmm. of, you know? Which is an interesting kind of take on that. Like, I'm not trying to speak to anything necessarily, but, like, yeah. I think that's very interesting. But... I think what Jai has brought up here and we hinted on earlier is like a lot of times these are male detectives. So, and heterosexual male detectives. So like their weakness would be, you know, a beautiful romantic interest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And since it is from their perspective, you know, that, that is a human fear across the board. And I think maybe Liz talks about this too, but in a second, but like a human fear is that someone you love isn't who you think they are. Everyone's afraid of that. And it is interesting, but I do think just because of like the way society has gone, and I'm not trying to like say any excuses or anything, but like the way that society has gone and that most of these films are male centric, it is an interesting byproduct of that, that we have these duplicitous females so often rearing their heads because that would just happen. It's their fear. It's their lens that we're seeing through, you know, Mm. You know, again, not great, not saying it's, not excusing it, but it's like, it is a byproduct of that, mm-hmm. you know? Do, I mean, do you think that that is accurate? Do you think that, like... That's, yeah, that's an interesting take on it. I was actually, when you first started that and you were saying, mm-hmm. you know, the women are af- often cast in these roles, it's like, I think in that era, you were lucky if uh, if you were a woman and got that role, right, you know, it's right. like... You, you're you not a secretary? Usually, <laughs> yeah, they... Um, <laughs> Uh, they actually, when Amanda did this genre, this is the point I wanted to bring up is the one guy, the women kind of had to pull him aside at one point and be like, whatever you're doing, stop it. Because he would walk into a room and be like, hey, I'm a gangster. You're both prostitutes. Hey. And the other women are like, thanks. Like, great. Now, oh, I'm, now I'm a hooker for, yeah. for the next the, hour. Uh, in the improv Because stuff? you just labeled me. And he just, yeah. w- he couldn't get his head out of that. And right. they're like, we can do other stuff. <laughs> you know, right. There's yeah. other ways to play yeah. this. We could yeah. be powerful. Yeah. And like, yeah, I think, I think a, uh, a, a pissed off detective in his uh, in his office, and some dame like the shadow yeah. through the door, and she a opens up and starts smoking yeah. a cigarette, and kind of is pushy. Of, that's noir. Like to yeah. me, that's like the, the easiest like the legendary duo of Bogey and Bacall. Like yeah. it doesn't get better than that. And mm-hmm. you know, in in a in that era, for her to be as big of a draw as Humphrey Bogart. Oh, like, yeah. This is a Bogey and Bacall joint, <laughs> right, not right. just like, yo, Humphrey Bogart, bogey. and it's like, right. no. We're marketing this as them. Like, right. that is that was cool. I, yeah. Because, yes, like, oftentimes the, the female that is at the center of the mystery sometimes is just as intricate and flawed and mm-hmm. interesting a character as the detective. But since we're following the detective, mm-hmm. we get his take on things. I think about the movie Brick, uh, which is very interesting if you haven't seen that. Uh, made Episode by eight. Yeah, Ryan Johnson. Uh, you know, you we're getting 
we're getting Joseph Gordon-Levitt's take on all of this stuff and like his perspective on these other characters, you know, is the one that we're getting kind mm-hmm. of. And we're piecing things together as he does. It, it would be a very different movie following uh, the the other the female character in that. I think that would be a really interesting take. I wonder if anyone's ever done that, like gone back and done a story like reversed, like that. Like take it, just take the other take on it. You know, the the female take on it. Interesting. I don't know. Uh, Liz Castro. This is a long one. Brace yourself. But I thought it was very good. Uh, Liz Castro says. Noir as a genre can be expressed narratively or stylistically or both, really. Uh, what is that acronym again? Batman the Animated Series. There it is. B-T-A-S, which I just now realized you could shift around and spell bats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit falls squarely into the both category. Whereas a film like Fargo, I would argue, is a narrative noir, much like Match Point. In terms of female representation, Jans B. Wager in dames or wagar w-a-g-e-r whatever Mm. in dames in the driver's seat tracks two archetypes in classic noir the femme fatale and the femme attrape arguing that these two archetypes were used to describe women's lived experiences of either subverting the patriarchy or feeling trapped by it much in the same way she describes male protagonists as either trying to break break from the mold uh, or feeling trapped by it think george in the killing or john in dark city uh, Dark City, good, yeah. yeah. Quite possibly one of my favorite examples of female representation in classic noir is that of Mildred Pierce in the Cortez film with Joan Ca- Crawford as the lead, or Cortez, whatever. Uh, the film cuts from noir to melodrama and in so doing exemplifies the tension of this woman's lived experience. On the one hand, Mildred is involved in seedy circumstances, but on the other, she genuinely is a strong woman trying to fulfill the idea of womanhood of her era. She is divorced, single mother, trying to provide a middle-class upbringing for her daughters and asserting her own independence and her own agency over her sexuality. The film punishes her for all of it, because of the seriously messed up code enforced through the 60s in Hollywood. And really, when we're talking about Hollywood noir, we can't not bring up the code, which we touched on. Um, she says, okay, this is really long, but thank you for the, uh, so much for this topic. Apparently her BA thesis was titled Violence Against Women in Film Noir. So the topic is very, very wow. close to their heart. I'd be interested in reading that. Um, but yeah, I think that's an interesting, those two dichotomies of like, you can either be subject to the patriarchy or rail against it you know Mm -hmm. and and how men are kind of trapped by that too it's very interesting film noir is such a cool tool for discussing the i mean it's sort of i mean it is kind of like much how like sci-fi can talk about political stuff um by veiling it you know make make this like you were like you like you brought up veronica mars or Brad Veronica Mars, you know, and her dealing with salt, but like right. she's so strong through it all, it's almost like you forget she's a victim because right. she's so strong and and I keep thinking about Frances McDormand. Yeah. Because to me, she's almost kind of like the anti noir protagonist because it yeah. seems like everybody it seems like in, in a lot of the noir that I love, everyone is incapable of actually expressing what they think like that's like the opposite of where you want to be right if it's like you have a man and a man then it's like i'm the i I, you know i might not be like the good guy but like i'm the guy that's going to take you down and like no you're not i don't care about anything uh you know again untouchables like you know uh 
De Niro just like denying constantly like I'm not denying that I don't do these business but I don't kill people I don't go that far like clearly he does right. uh, whereas with women it's like oh well I'm just hanging around you I'm not attracted to you and it's like oh yeah well I'm just here smoking a cigarette I'm not attracted to you and like clearly they are uh-huh. and Frances McDormand's just like I'm gonna go get some eggs and she's yeah. just like I, she's you, you, what you see is what you get she's just always communicating that and just everyone around her like can't admit you know the the issues that they're having, and William H Macy's just trapped in his life and wants yeah. to you know screaming to get out. And um, but yeah, uh, I think that's when it, what's interesting about these movies and why all the scenes are always so electric is because just everyone's constantly at odds. Like yeah, it's 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 so rare. Even when there's like two cops, there's like the captain and the cop. Like they can never really like just communicate yeah. with each other. What I like too is you're talking about like females rolling it like. I feel like the man back then always wanted to, like, save the woman, uh-huh. you know? They have that complex of, like, you need to be saved, I need to save you. But, like, I love that usually the women are, like, one up on them, like, no. Yeah. I don't need saving, like, you from the I know what's going on here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or Chinatown, like, how are you going to yeah. save me from this, really? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that, that's sorry. the tragedy <laughs> of Chinatown. I mean, big Chinatown spoiler incoming. Uh, but, like... Eh, I can do it without spoiling it, kind of. But, like, yeah, she's just stuck in a situation, like... The terrible things have kind of already happened. Yeah, like, years ago. Yeah, and like continuing to happen and like in a really, really, really depressing way, like gets out kind of the only way she could. Like it, it like the tragedy of that is that they all get to taste what freedom would be like, but then reality just comes back and is like, nah, you don't get that. You don't get to do that. Like and then just like ultimate like Kind of like existential, just like, hey man, that's life, line of all time. Yeah. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> boom. Like, life motto, you know? Just forget it. You know? There's nothing you can do. It's Chinatown, man. Like, oh man, Chinatown. That is such a good movie. I yeah, like my nose. I like breathing through it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Fargo... My God, like, not only is she the quintessential, like, Midwestern, just put together, very polite, you know, like, she's got a life, she's got some issues, like, that right. weird guy from high school or college, like, coming and hitting on her. Like, Mike Yanagita. Yeah, that guy is <laughs> weird. Uh, but, like, the biggest drama in her life is just her pregnancy and her husband, like, supporting her husband's, like, making this loon for a stamp and he gets the two cent stamp and she's just so lovingly per- like yeah. support like their relationship is like like when i think about perfect like supportive relationships probably needs of, a jump yeah, yeah i think yeah probably needs a jump i think of i think of those two and i think of you know morticia and gomez but like we should do an episode on like beautiful relationships but like yeah. but the, just the fact that she's this detective got a square head on her shoulders like gets the case figures it out and is just pregnant the whole time without yeah. it really being a thing mm-hmm. yeah you know like at one like in the beginning she's like oh, i think i'm gonna barf yeah. you know but like that's kind of the only time her pregnancy like impacts things yeah. I mean, carrying like, a load here like yeah, just a little she, bit yeah, every here and there load, but it's just like uh but it's like it just shows that like you know yeah she she's capable of doing this and like it's not a thing like whatever it's fine everything's cool you know i i really respect that in fargo um but i think i think one of the things that i might actually kind of uh show that like the the egoism of the males and the sultriness of the females like all of that's just kind of the time period so if you're going to want to like really get into that you're you you are telling like an old type of story right and i think one of the things that that stays true in a good and bad way depending on your protagonist 
that is true of Frances McDormand, she's persistent. Like, yeah. you know, it's like she's she can tell right away if she talks to William H. Macy. She's like, yeah, yeah you're lying to me. Yeah, I could just tell. Yeah, yeah. But I, I can't prove it right now. So it's not really going to do anything. But like, you're not getting away from me. Like, I'm going to find you. I'm yeah. going to go driving through this lake for hours to find this car. It's, right. it's no big deal. It's my job. Yeah. You know, whereas like a lesser person, somebody that was more like wrapped up emotionally might give up or might be scared of the, you know, getting wrapped up in all this crime and stuff. And she's just like, no. So I wonder if like that's that persistence is kind of one of the more admirable qualities of of someone like uh, Eddie Valiant actually sticking, dealing with Roger and sticking with him this whole time, or yeah. you know, uh, you know, getting his nose split open, but still going back to the case right. in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that that's something that I really like. Uh, it happens more so in Chinatown and uh, Roger Rabbit than in Fargo, but like. There sometimes often there is a reluctancy, like there's a reluctant hero kind of deal. Like yeah. Eddie Valiant doesn't want any part of this. Like yeah. once R.K. Maroon pays him his hundred bucks, he's, he's out. out. But he doesn't then, even want Jessica. Right. Like, he, you know, he's still just like, oh, please. Yeah, he's like, come on. But then I, I, I well, and shows Huey up in his house. To, yeah, maybe <laughs> Huey tries to pay him. He's like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Get elevator shoes. You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then yeah, the story brings him back in, and then like he gets interested. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, like actually, it's really funny because he sees the will on. Are, are on Acme in his photograph. Yeah. And then even then he's like, yeah, whatever. whatever. He's going to go to bed. And then Roger's in his bed. And that's the only thing yeah. that keeps, you know. The weasels show up. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, yeah, forced into it. Yeah. And even before the weasels shoot through the lock on his door, he's like, no, Roger, get out of here. But then yeah. he's like, whoa, these weasels are like not playing fair. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like in, you know. It's, it's didn't hear you guys come in. Yeah, it didn't hear you guys the come door in. Blows the door open. <laughs> so good. Oh god, that movie is perfect. Uh, I'll send you out to try. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. You and your laundry. How do you? How 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 did how does how does air splash water? How that happened? Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, I, what? I, without like. And like you, I was like looking. It's not a little hose yeah. squirting up out of the water. Yeah. It's I the think, water. The, yeah. the the surface it's, is disturbed by yeah. something. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> And, like, you look it's for the bonkers. things that they roto out. And, like, yeah, there are a few little weird inconsistencies where, like, I, I noticed the first time in the commentary that uh, Roger, ha- when he when he's d- driving around on Two-Town, he, like, has the actual physical real gun that, mm-hmm. that Eddie got from RK Maroon. Mm. Um, but then when he gets to the dip house, it's animated. Mm. And I wonder uh, if that's because he was going to wave it around. But, like, the other weasels have real guns, too. So maybe they just, like, yeah. they were like, oh, crap, we didn't shoot the gun. Just yeah. animate it. Uh, I wonder, you know, like it's, it's, it's a perfect movie, I think, because of its charm and like, yeah, it has flaws, but like, oh my God, well, it's, it's artistry. It's a movie, I mean, this has nothing to do with noir, but like, it's a movie of references too. It's about nostalgia and it's about, you know, jokes about the industry and stuff like that. But like, that's not what you remember it for. Yeah. Like, you know, like I remember those moments, like Yosemite Sam, like, you know, my biscuits are burning. Like, those are funny, but like, it's not... Like, it's not like a space jam where it's like, oh, I know that because of how wacky it was and all this stuff came together. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's in it and is a positive of it. But, like, mm-hmm. the best moments are, are this is the story, you know, um, the characters. So uh, just to, to, to start wrapping things up, I asked a few people for other recommendations of their favorite noirs that maybe we hadn't heard of or haven't, haven't been as familiar with. Andrew Bailey uh, would like to mention a French film from 1937 that uh, he that he says I really enjoyed starring Jean Gabin uh, called Pepe Le Moco uh, that fits with film noir. Uh, also wanted to shill for TBS's Search Party. 
he felt that because it's on TBS, it's not getting a lot of. It's well, got maybe that's from, current, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like yeah. One or season two, two is in, coming right? out yeah, yeah. soon, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's got maybe from Arrested Development in it. They have that's a, the Nancy Drew billboards, right? That had those, yeah, those old animated. Love those. Sold on those billboards already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they look, uh, like, they'll look like the cover of a Nancy Drew novel. Andrew Bailey likes it and recommends it. Cool, uh, cool. Retro PS4 says one of my favorite film noir movies of all time is Orson Welles' 1949 classic, The Third Man. Oh my God, yeah. Which I haven't seen actually. Oh my god! It's been a while. It, yeah. yeah, Orson Welles is like barely in it. Uh, it says it's an interesting uh, in that unlike many other Hollywood noir films of the time, the setting is post-war Vienna. Yeah. Uh, by using this uh, rundown, sad, uninviting, and devastated environment, Wells Wells is creating a commentary on and contributing motivator to why the characters behave the way they do. Context <laughs> in, in all caps. Uh, what really glues it all together, though, is that the seemingly happy carnival waltz music heard throughout the entire film somehow is slightly off, which really adds to the tension and feeling that something slightly sinister just might be underlying the whole situation. God, of course. Um, but again, why the cartoons are creepy. You yeah. know, why it's it, yeah. like the, the Roger Rabbit really carries the air that like, ha 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 ha, cartoon, and it's like very creepy stuff going on yeah. again yeah. even even toontown yeah. which like it's like oh yay we're going to the place where the cartoons a little live. unsettling yeah and it's like even just the train at the end yeah. like, <laughs> which i pointed out oh my god I disturbing learned, I learned jones the, i learned from the commentary in the thing you ready for this every window in the train has a depiction of a murder or a suicide what yes yep because it's like murder on the orient express like that kind of like noir thing you know like strangers on a train and then you just can't see it because it goes by it goes by really quickly but if you yeah. if you if you know Freeze that and you it. watch it again uh you can see like there are people in them and they're all like i think they're all references to if i if i'm not mistaken i think they're all references to different murders freaked in, me like, out jones Hitchcock freaked movies me and stuff. out like there's definitely yeah. like a shower murder stabbing thing going on like there's i think they're all references to films if i'm not mistaken that might Whoa. i might be making that part up but they're all murders or suicides in every frame insane it's wow. crazy go back and like f- frame through it it's nuts wow uh <laughs> yeah uh anna lucia stone says tell me something a korean film directed by chang yoon hoon uh in 1999 i thought was absolutely superb fairly extreme loads of twists great soundtrack atmospheric atmospheric use of lighting many layers of complex tension between the main characters i would give fair warning just say that it can be briefly at times be a very tough watch but it is well worth it Koreans do not mess around. Yeah, yeah man. Such good yeah. movies. Um, yeah. Sick. Film noir. So good. Prolific. Uh, a lot of movies. Yeah. A lot, like, so much to learn about <laughs> film noir. There, there's there's so, mu- so many underlying themes, so many movies. Like, they teach classes. Like, you, you were saying thesis statement on yeah. just that. Like, there's... Massive, massive genre. Yeah. Uh, so that brings us into the theme for next month. Ooh. Which is the Coen Brothers. Whoa. Oh. Yeah. We got to have Jones back. It's like Jones's favorite. <laughs> oh. Me too. Uh, I mean, Hot Sucker Proxy is not noir, but it, oh. it, 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 you know. The period? Wait, oh my know. God. If I like, if I like Batman the Animated directors? Series, that movie. Coen Brothers are among oh. my favorite directors, yeah. Um, among. Yeah, the Coen brothers have made two mistakes in their career. Two, maybe. Are you talking that about weird, the, the Tom Hanks and Lady Killers? movie? Yeah, Lady Killers and what Lady was the Killers. Other one? Uh, the Untouchables or Intouchables? Un, in what is it? The the Clooney yeah. lawyers one. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, those two. Yeah. Clooney lawyers. What is one? that one called? 
don't it's know. not the untouchables. It's the in up in the air something. The up in the airables. <laughs> no, but yes, uh, that yeah, that scene has like that movie has like one funny scene, but otherwise it's not very good. And like burn after reading is like all right, but not great. Yeah. Um, but they make me angry. No, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they have. I mean, Blood Simple is basically noir. Miller's mm. Crossing, which I can't believe we didn't bring up through this entire Miller's thing. Crossing. Yeah. Miller's Crossing. Miller's Crossing. Straight up noir. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, like, if you, we're gonna talk about all of them, <laughs> so like, uh, if you watched any of them, that's your assignment. Uh, but like, I don't know. Let's just say Fargo, because we talked about it so much in this episode mm-hmm. as the assignment film. That'll be the one that we do oh. a commentary on. Oh. Um. Hmm. Or maybe No Country for Old Men. Or both. Which I also saw recently in Man Oh Man. Double dip. Ugh. I mean, maybe. How about like a bone, like extra credit? Extra credit. You know, I love about Fargo yeah. is my mom loves Fargo so much because oh, those yeah. are all her relatives. Oh, yeah. So I, she grew just up, died I grew up up there. Yeah, I grew up. Like, people think that it's heightened and it's heightened a little bit, but I know people who would like, who talk like that. And I mean, like, I just said, oh, yeah, four times. And like, that's oh, yeah. not, you know. I like when they interviewed Francis McDormand. I think it was on, she was on Letterman afterwards. And he's like, he's like, is there anything, was that accent hard to kick? And she's like, the accent's not hard, but pretty darn good. I, she's like, that is a uh, part of my vocabulary now. Pretty darn good. <laughs> People say that. No, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You betcha. Stand for supper. Uh, anyway, Fargo, beautiful movie. Uh, and the show? Is actually pretty good. I haven't yeah. finished season three. But I haven't even touched season three, but yeah. one and two were pretty stellar. But uh, I just lo- love how challenging noir is. You know, yeah. it it challenges you to watch uncomfortable situations and kind of reflects back on you as the viewer. Of you know, we were talking about criminals that are doing bad things, but you're kind of rooting for them. But at the yeah. end of the day, it's like, no, you shouldn't do that. And just flawed characters re- reluctantly doing things. It's just, it's heavy. It's heavy yeah. duty. That's why, yeah. Well, I always love Batman because I just, I love that character who's like, all right, mm-hmm. I'll do it. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, one person who's always finds himself in the place that, like, I, I'm not scared by these things. I, can, I will, I will confront that. That's why the end of Dark Knight is so poignant. You know, it's just kind of like, fine, I'll be whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like, yeah. these things don't affect me. People are mad at me mm-hmm. or something or like, cops are chasing me. I can deal with that. Yeah. You know, just as long as the right thing is done. And I think that's why it's such a deep genre and such a fascinating character study is because what is the right thing? How how far right, are you willing right. to go to, to make things right? Yeah. Um, how much do people need to know? You know, it's like if if something like this went down, you know, would it behoove, you know, Jack Nicholson to then go out and tell more people involved with the events of Chinatown what actually happened? Right. Or is it best to just mm-hmm. like, I Let will take go. this. I will keep this to myself. Or like, I will bear the burden the, of it. Like you were saying too, to, like doing bad things right. I was gonna for say. like, a good do the reason wrong thing for the way? right reason. Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, totally. That's, um, that's why even just I'm doing the Batman Telltale. I'm, I'm running through those episodes nice. finally, and like, oh, nice. even just something as simple as like, do I want to mm. scare a guy with a lead pipe or actually smack him in the face? And right. Like, how mm. will that? You know, how much do I want to scare people? Yeah. Really, right? My uh, Batman Jones. Yeah. Unhinged. Yeah. 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 Batfleck. <laughs> yeah. Shotguns and yeah. dropping yeah, I was going for planks the of wood on people and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's about it for us. Uh, do we have any quotes for the quote challenge? Or do we not think of any? I have one that's so easy. Hit it. I just feel like saying it. Yeah. Dyson. <laughs> Miles Dyson. <laughs> She's going to blow him away. Come on. We got to go. Do you know it? Of course he does. Yeah, it's, it doesn't hold up, but it's, it's a good movie. <laughs> no, it's Terminator? Kidding. Terminator 2. Yeah. Had to go uh, there. Wanted to go there. It's um, been on my mind. I had, wait, if you can think of one, uh, I had, I'm I had, I had still, the movie. I'm but thinking I, still. Um, 
Okay, I've got one. Uh, I don't know if I've used this before on this show. Um, back when I was in a barbershop quartet in Skokie, Illinois. Usual suspects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is Usual Suspects no more? Yeah. Ish. Yeah, I'd say so. Unreliable it's narrator. Definitely Ooh. an unreliable narrator. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a crime thriller, but I'd say it's got noir. You know, that's 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 why it gets complicated. That's why people Music. say like it's not a genre because it's so broad that you could be like, well, that's a that's a noir because it's got high contrast lighting, or that's a noir because it's got a shady detective, or that's a noir. Yeah. You know, and that's why it's such a discussion. But like, whatever. Like, how is that scene in the elevator with Stephen Baldwin not noir? Lights go out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so cool. Love it. Do you have a quote? It tells me. That goose-dripping morons like yourselves should spend more time reading books than burning them. Yeah, I know that one. Goose-stepping morons. Uh, like Last Crusade. Yeah, yep. well, I knew it was Last in Crusade. the exams. Yeah, I just didn't know which one. Should try reading books instead of burning them. Yeah, yeah if I did the accent. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, giving it away yeah. Yeah. on a silver yeah. platter. But yeah, because uh, yeah. I just yeah, I suddenly remember just my Charlemagne. Just rewatched Last Crusade. Uh, Did you watch all of them in a row? No, just last you said. Oh, okay. I put on uh, Crystal Skull the other night, but volume off. Well, nope. I was like, yeah, yeah, when yeah, I was working yeah. on a podcast. I was like, That's the way sure, I can kind of stomach it. Like, I just so I have. There are moments like I really, I really like the scene when he was staring at the skull. Like, I really like Indy's relationship to everything that's happening. That's fine. Like, anytime mm-hmm. it's just Indy and the lore, the it's great. scene when they come into the motorcycle into the study hall. Yeah, funny. That's I like a that. Funny scene. I like that chase sequence. And John Hurt's pretty good mm-hmm. throughout. You know, interesting character, especially because he like kicks it at the end he's just mm-hmm. like got that out of my head you know yeah. like you had like a physical thing like buzzing around in his skull oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, Does, like i have i haven't never rewatched it you know i watched it, it a second does it get time. worse or better on the second time it certainly doesn't get better <laughs> no it does not get better because i mean you have the expert you know what you're right. getting into and i, I watched tolerate it tolerate it more maybe because okay. like that first viewing i was upset yeah. <laughs> i watched it again with the express purpose of like you know, maybe it was hard on it. Was, is it really all that bad? Yeah. And yeah, it is. Oh. It's Karen really Allen, unfortunately, all that bad. is just not. Good. They just directed poorly. They just uh, wrote her. It's just bad. a very everything about it is yeah. bizarre. That but opening scene. Shia, though. Shia LaBeouf does look a lot like Harrison Ford, though. Mm. That opening scene. As does uh, uh, what's his name, Adam Driver. Strangely, the oh, two of them like weird. I buy yeah. as his offspring. But. I uh, I watched Valerian last night. You did. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, and like, I was saying, I was like. Yeah, that movie was awesome anytime someone wasn't speaking yeah, or trying to exactly, act. Exactly. Like and then that's a movie that if you watched it with the the, the picture off and maybe yeah, with it, subtitles. Yeah. Right. I mean so, the script has significant issues. Yeah. Bad issues. But like if the man, first ten minutes was a short film. Oh yeah. Nominated for Amazing. an Oscar. <laughs> Amazing. For short film. For, no, the beginning of this yeah. movie is phenomenal. Legendary intro. So good. Yeah. Like the shaking of the hands. I'm just like, yeah. dude, I'm yeah. all in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I for real want to like re-edit that movie. Yeah. Just like take out most of Valerian and, and Clara Delvine, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Which is sad because I like God. her character type. I like yeah. her of just but, like, like being a badass. They couldn't pull it off. Like, no. stop yeah. with those two. Yeah. Sorry. Like, that guy can play, like, creepy weirdos, sure, mm-hmm. but he's not a leading man. He's supporting. Yeah. I like him in uh, Place Me on the Pines and yeah. Chronicle. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And the Metallica, he plays good the Metallica unhin- movie. He's great at, like, unhinged dudes, but, like, yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> the Metallica movie. Metallica <laughs> movie. Through the would never whatever. <laughs> Anyway. What a weird one. That'll do it for us. Thank you for watching or listening. <laughs> I had fun. Thanks for having me. It was yeah, a good time. Yeah, thanks for being on. It's a good podcast. Um, thanks. Yeah, I hope it's good. I worry about this podcast a lot. But uh, We're just shooting. We're just shooting. You know what, they, that, you know what shooting is uh, in the wrestling terms? Huh. They're shooting on it. We're just shooting. 
What does that mean? So in wrestling, it's like they sh- they give their real life take on it, not like oh. not pretend. Whoa. So they shoot. It's real. Like, Why is it called that? I don't know. This <laughs> is the way it is. That's you were what the hell is going on? I don't know. All right, but uh, we are Easy Allies. Uh, you can support us on patreoncom slash allies. Uh, go to easyallies.com. You can see all this crazy stuff we're doing, the shows, the schedules of our streams. Uh, we do this every month. Second Friday of every month, this show comes out. Last Friday of every month, um, Fiasco Knots comes out, where we Wee. generally play things that end up seeming kind of like a film noir sometimes. <laughs> sure. uh, things definitely don't go well oh, for our it would unreliable be good to narrators. Just do a classic noir. Though, I think we know? might uh, have a few playsets that would Ugh. facilitate that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you for for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on Reaction Shots. Bye bye.